fine. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> um, this is my best friend, Kelly, and she can't believe that birds can fly in the rain. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I did just have that conversation. Was, I felt like it was worth sharing. It was a good one. ADHD props, man. Um, this is my best friend, Jen, and she used to eat pierogies at lunch all the time. Yeah, I love pierogies. Mashed potatoes. That's my, well, you know what? My favorite pierogi is a sauerkraut pierogi. What if Zoe's a pierogi? Because she's a potato. Then we got to get her a um, little phyllo dough outside. Is it phyllo dough? No, it's like pastry dough. Yeah. Well, kind of. Like a crescent? Crescent? No. What kind of dough is a pierogi? It's kind of, it's almost like a um, pasta. Oh. Yeah. Like a gnocchi? Yes. In fact, my grandmother, she would take the leftover pierogi dough and then mix the leftover mashed potatoes into it and then cut it into per, into um, gnocchis and make gnocchi that way. Interesting. Yeah. It's just like a flour bay. It's just flour, eggs, water. Deliciousness. Yeah. It's so God, pierogies. I just told Kelly, I was like, God, I got to get some. Pierogies for life. That's Anytime I hear pierogi, though, I think of you because oh. that's the first time I had ever heard of a pierogi. She used to bring them like once a week for lunch when we were interns. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is that that you keep eating? I'm like, it's pierogi, girl. You better get with it. You got me learning all sorts of new things for different cultures. Thank you. You are so welcome. Hmm. All right. Well, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Today we that's are discussing depression. depression. What's depression? What do you think of when you hear it? I think of... um sadness from inside out mm-hmm. she's just so sad she's so sad i think she's depressed although i mean she's supposed to be sadness personified but you know i do think that that brings up a good point for what we should talk about is what's the difference between sadness and depression yes because i think a lot of times people will think they're depressed when really they're just sad mm-hmm. or sometimes they'll think they're sad when really they're depressed or they'll think they're just tired mm. when really they're depressed mm-hmm yeah so let's define depression you asked earlier if we should do the dsm stuff and we said no but i do think that we should mention Mm -hmm. one of the things that is very surprising to people about the clinical criteria to diagnose depression is that you don't actually have to have a depressed mood to Mm -hmm. qualify for depression diagnosis you can but you don't have to yeah so there's two qualifying um criteria that you start with and it's either or both depressed mood and or like apathy and loss of interest for things that you mm-hmm. used to like to do and all that kind of stuff. So you might not feel sad or blue or depressed mood, but you're not participating in activities that you normally would. You mm-hmm. might be feeling really disconnected from things, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So that really surprises people a lot. I've had lots of times when I'll ask clients like, do you think that you're depressed? And they're like, no, I don't feel sad. I'm like, well, you don't have to feel sad to be depressed and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. Um, well, and I think that the whole thing of like that, the emotion that goes with it is sadness when it's like, it, it might not be sadness at all. It, that whole idea of low mood of just like, and I mean, you had said like apathy, right? Just like, yeah, I'm just, I'm not feeling really excited or really happy. Like my baseline is just kind of low mm-hmm. and that being an indicator anytime that i'm like do you think you might be depressed people are always like huh no i'm like oh let me well let me tell you why Mm -hmm. i think you are Mm -hmm. well and i think we talked about this a little bit when we talked about the anxiety episode that i think across the board there's a little bit more all mental health stuff has stigma but i think there's more stigma 
and more insecurity with people about feeling being able to say that they feel depressed rather than they feel anxious. Mm -hmm. I think anxiety is more um, socially acceptable, I guess, or culturally acceptable than depression Mm -hmm. is. Yeah. And we can kind of talk about like why. Um, But let's talk about what is depression and also how is it different than anxiety because Mm -hmm. depression and anxiety have a lot of similar um, symptoms and expression of those symptoms, but they're not Mm -hmm. the same. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think one of the ways that I describe this to people to help them differentiate is anxiety can be um, a lot of what ifing about things. Like a lot of the thoughts are centered around what if, and with depression, a lot of the thoughts can be more like why me or mm-hmm. who cares kind mm-hmm. of thoughts. Um, or like, Yeah, those are the two main ones that I would say thought-wise. Usually, um, and this can go back to our, this is a call back to our nervous system episode, but usually I talk about, uh, almost all my clients have heard me talk to them about window of tolerance. So it's like, yeah, anxiety is kind of that hyper arousal. Like there's something that's getting activated Mm -hmm. in us, right? So it's like the the switch is turned on in some capacity. And then depression is the hypo arousal where like the switch is turned off. And like, I don't really remember turning it off. Mm -hmm. And... I'm feeling kind of flat. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, anxiety is like presence of energy, if Mm -hmm, you will, whether mm -hmm. it doesn't have to feel pleasant, though it can be like nervous energy or disorganized, whatever. And that depression is absence of energy. Yeah. And then you have that nice combination when you have both. And that's just very confusing and really hard to differentiate. Yes. So very true. (laughs) um, And a lot of times I think that that's something that's also important is like, So people who have like primarily depression can then get anxious about getting depressed or Mm -hmm. like the symptoms that depression, the consequences that the symptoms of depression might have on their life. So for example, if I'm depressed and I'm having trouble getting on time for work and then I'm Mm -hmm. feeling anxious about if I'm going to get in trouble at work because I'm not going on time, but I'm Mm -hmm. not going on time because I'm depressed, not because I'm anxious. Mm -hmm. And then the flip side of that is like people who have a lot of anxiety and worry and that can turn into a lot of self-doubt or negative self-talk, mm-hmm. um, which then makes you feel depressed. Yes. That's your girl right here, y'all. <laughs> and see, I'm kind of the opposite. I'm more mm-hmm. prone to be low and then get anxious about being low. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another criteria for depression and also anxiety, but how they can be different or similar, which makes it hard, is the sleep disturbance piece. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> if you read the DSM, it's sleep disturbance is like the criteria and then it's like too much sleep or too little sleep, which is pretty much the same for every mental health disorder. (laughs) Um, You know, it's interesting because a lot of times I would, my instinct would be to say that people who have depression are more likely to sleep more. However, my experience with clients has been that they it's been both, but I thinking of a couple of people specifically who have a really hard time sleeping when they're depressed, Mm -hmm. um, which feels counterintuitive or kind of like not what you would expect. So I feel like I should just wanted to say that like you can be not sleeping and that can still be depressed rather than anxious. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Well, and it can also be that piece of like, 
any kind of sleep, just like you're having a hard time falling asleep or when you do fall asleep, you can't stay asleep or maybe you are sleeping, but none of it feels restful. Mm -hmm. Like all of that is a sleep disturb is like classified under sleep disturbance. Mm -hmm. That's why I ask a lot of questions about people's sleep. Like Mm -hmm. what's the quality? Like how much are you getting? How does it feel to go to sleep? How does it feel when you wake up in the morning? And honestly, a lot of times I can tell if I'm going into a place where some depression is coming up for me, like base, like sleep is my best indicator of it. Mm -hmm. I think the same similar with, um, one of the criteria being weight loss or weight gain for depression without trying to. And so Mm -hmm. there's like, I don't know, it's like five or 10% of your body weight or something like there's like a number. I can't Mm -hmm. remember exactly what it is, but, um, the idea of like, I'm eating more than I did, or I'm eating less than I did. is like, well, that could be all sorts of things, but Mm -hmm. the, it's important to understand what is a person's baseline. And so then you can understand what is the deviation from the baseline when it yes. comes to things like sleep and appetite and energy level and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so that's another one of the criteria, hopelessness, thoughts of death or suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, isolation is not technically one of the DSM criteria, but it's a huge symptom and mm-hmm. sign. Um, muscle, um, what is the word that they use in the DSM? It's like muscle tension. I don't know. No, it's um. I'll look it oh up. Oh my gosh! I actually think I have it on here. Hang on. Muscle. This we have the book that tells us normally, so you know. Now we're just using the interwebs. Oh, this is not using like actual DSM language. Um, it is. Okay, a slowing down of thought and reduction of physical movement. That's not the language that's used in the DSM either. But Yeah, that's what I was just um, looking at. I'm like, like that's s- not it. Slowed motor functioning, I guess, mm-hmm. basically. So this idea of like, if you think about, okay, I'm depressed. That means I'm slow, like my thoughts are slow, my body is slow, mm-hmm. whatever. And so this idea of like a person moving kind of in slow motion. Um, yeah, and- if you're like hey, honey, get me a cup of water from the kitchen. And it takes them like twice as long as it would take you. That's Mm -hmm. kind of the thing that we're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it specifically needing to be observable by other people, not Mm -hmm. just you seeing it in yourself. Like I'll have certain clients when they come in, I'll be like, hey, how are you? Like, you know, introduction or whatever. And the way that they answer the question, I'm like, okay, what's wrong? Mm. Like, I could just tell by the pace of their language Mm -hmm. and how fast they move coming up the stairs, like all that kind uh-huh. of stuff. I was just thinking the same. Kelly and I both like practice in different, different offices, but they're both on the second floor. And yeah, I'm like, Oh yeah. Oh, we take in a minute to get up the mm-hmm. stairs today yeah. <laughs> um, or to get settled in their seat and all that stuff. And it's like, Oh, right. I, I can see your mood coming out in your physical presentation. Right. It's just like, everything is harder. Mm-hmm. Um, or a lot of times I can tell by physically how people show up. Like, Oh, we're wearing sweats today when I normally see you in something different or right. Like if you're a person who typically I have one client specifically who I saw her for a while and then we took a break and then she came back. Mm -hmm. And when I first saw her, she like wore makeup and dressed up in like fancy clothes, like all this kind of stuff. And then when I saw her again, no makeup, not hair, not done, you know, Mm -hmm. she didn't look disheveled. Yeah. Like she was clean and all of that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. But she looked totally different than the yeah. amount of effort that she was putting into her looks, which was an indicator to me that she was feeling depressed. And yeah. we talked a lot about like, if you are choosing to not wear makeup or whatever, like that is totally fine. This has nothing to do with like your 
looks being positive or negative, but it's the differentiate or d- discrepancy with how you mm-hmm. typically were before. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then sometimes it is something a little bit more severe of with some of my clients who really struggle with depression when they're in a depressive episode or have one coming on, we have to make a lot of um, plans and set goals and things like that about their hygiene mm-hmm. about like, okay, over the next week, let's try to shower at least three times. Mm-hmm. Um because that's just one of those things that really suffers for them when they, especially like if they, if their depression presents as being very fatigued, then it is just very difficult for them to get up to like get out of bed, to make the choice to shower instead of doing something else. And Mm -hmm. so that's something I have to be very mindful in making sure that like we're setting specific goals and that I'm holding them accountable to those things. Yep. Um, And then the final criteria, just because we were kind of going all through them was, um, trouble with concentration and indecisiveness, Mm -hmm. which I think is one that is very similar to anxiety and people get those confused a lot, but, or not confused, but like mixed up kind of. And the way that I would describe it for depression is indecisive or trouble with decisions or concentration from a place of like, I don't have the energy and I don't care enough Mm -hmm. versus anxiety being, I want to make the right choice. Exactly. So it's not about for anxiety. It's like, I want to make the right choice versus the wrong choice. And depression is like, I lit, I can't even like, I think that I can't even is the way that I would describe (laughs) depression in a one sentence. Last week, um, I saw a client who I've been seeing for forever and, I see her every other week. And so she was talking about how the week previous, how it had just been a really rough week for her. And she was like sleeping a lot more than usual. And she was kind of like, I did not have any fucks to give. And we're, mm-hmm. we're catching up on the week. And she's like, I do not know what was going on. And I was like, I think you were depressed. Have we considered that? And she was like, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. And she has a dep- like an actual diagnosable depressive disorder. But she was like, oh, oh, okay. She kind of like sat with that and was like, yep. Yep, that's what that was. Yeah, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. Well, and then having that discussion of like, okay, why did that happen? And y'all sometimes, and I think we talked about this in our trigger episode of like, sometimes we can pinpoint like, wow, right? Like I was very overwhelmed and things were not going well. And like, I had just met my quota for my tolerance of bullshit. And then I kind of had a, not a full-blown depressive episode, but like I was really having depressed mood or it's just like, no, sometimes that just happens because mm-hmm. you're a human who has depression. And so sometimes depression comes and visits when we don't invite them. Yep. I think also another thing to say is that um, differentiating between like feeling sad or having mm-hmm. like a typical human emotional reaction to something versus a depression episode is the amount of time that it's lasting for. Yeah. Two weeks is typically like the criteria for it you know Mm -hmm. if it's 12 days versus 14 i think that still pretty much counts but Mm -hmm. um that's another piece of it and then i also want to talk about persistent depressive disorder or it used to be called dysthymia and i would class i would say that that's kind of like depression light meaning it's not as intense like you don't meet criteria for severe depressive episode but it's more chronic Mm -hmm. um and that the lowness kind of feelings are more consistent over time because people who have major depressive disorder, that's either a single episode or recurrent, meaning like that you have multiple episodes Mm -hmm. can have really extended periods of time where they don't have depression symptoms at all. Yeah. They go back to their baseline. Right. But that when they do have an episode, it's like, I'm thinking of one client in particular that like I've told them you are like literally the DSM criteria of this Mm -hmm. because when they're not depressed, it's like, 
no one would ever know that they ever had depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other folks where it's like, yeah, this is a little more of that chronic kind of like the blue character from sadness from, mm-hmm. um, she's probably more of dysthymia than depression, I guess, depending on how long she's been feeling that way. But yeah, that's um, fair. Well, and I think with like dysthymia or persistent depressive disorder, I always talk about it. It's like, people look at that as your baseline mm-hmm. instead of your baseline being a little bit higher and you always being under it. It's like, no, we kind of expect you to show up like that be- because that's how chronic it is. It's right. so consistent that that's what we expect. Right. Um, and then there's also just some other type really quickly. Like there's also postpartum depression, PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoria, dif- Dyswork disorder. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and all of those kind of look like depression, but the things that are differentiating for them are some of the biological um, components mm-hmm. and and onset time frame. stuff. Yeah, yeah, time frame stuff. So I will say, and people might have these are all still theories, and so you know we don't know enough about the brain, whatever, whatever. But I think that they're based on my experience in working with clients and my own existence as a human. I have a belief that depression has a more, not more, but has a significant biological component that we just haven't really understood Mm -hmm. enough about yet. Like there's research that has been coming out about like gut brain health and, Mm -hmm. you know, serotonin being produced in your stomach, like all these things. But um, based on some of the interventions that you can use to treat depression, it really speaks to the fact that there is a biological component that is major going on there oh yeah yeah and a lot of it is like what's happening brain chemistry wise of Mm -hmm. like your brain is just not making enough dopamine and serotonin and those things or is just not as um activated by things that would help create Mm -hmm. those things yeah the client i was talking about earlier we have come to agreement whether it's true or not that theirs was very biologically based and the onset being um like they had all these environmental kind of and life experiences that like predisposed them to it. But the thing that was like, this is the thing that set this off and kind of, you know, t- switched that flip that switch was um, having a medical illness and they had to take antibiotics and that like messed up their gut health. And oh, then that yeah. was like the precipitating event to their depressive episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know enough about, I'm not a biologist. I'm not a neuroscientist Mm -hmm. to be able to say that for sure that that is what was happening, but that is like a very significant pinpointing event for that person. So, yeah, I will say like as a practitioner, I think that depression can be one of those really hard things um, to, to treat in the sense of depression, all things like look very different depending on the person. Like it's all individualized, but I think because depression can look so different and because, um, I would say that like most patients that I treat who have anxiety are on like similar medications, Mm -hmm. but like with depression, you have a lot of people who like have like um, medication resistant symptoms and just different things like that. Like it can be harder to get it right. Mm -hmm. And so it can take a long time and there, and it requires a lot of patience. And so I think that's one of the things that also makes it kind of unique to treat. And I think that a lot of times the people experiencing and living with the depression, they don't know all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a client right now who's been just so overwhelmed by like, She'll get on a really great antidepressant and after like four to six, uh, no, like six to eight months, it won't work anymore. Mm. And so then we're like, okay, fuck. Okay. Now we have to. And I keep saying to her like, well, the good news is, is that we keep finding things that work. Mm -hmm. Like 
not that like we can't find anything that works, but that we have to switch it up. So at least we know that like <laughs> we've been able to make some progress here, but that's also a reason why she's like, I don't even want to fucking take medication anymore because the rigmarole that goes with all of this and, and how much symptom tracking she has to do and stuff like, I mean, all of that is a lot of work, especially when you're depressed, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like it's like, so that I think is one of the things that is most challenging about treating depression. We talked about this with the ADHD thing too, but I feel like this is different in the sense that the symptoms of the illness are the things like it makes it impossible to do the things to treat the illness. Yes. Right. So like something that is super effective for depression is behavior activation and physical activity. But if you can't get out of bed, it doesn't matter. You could talk to me about taking a walk all day long, but if I can't get out of bed, I'm not going for a walk. Yeah. And so that's not going to help. And so I think that that is one of the reasons why depression is really hard to treat. And as a therapist who have, people who have depression, like pretty severe depression at times, it can feel really challenging and kind of hopeless too. And it's almost like, damn, I'm feeling how you're like, obviously not equally. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, it's like, I feel kind of depressed tangentially by like, yeah, it does seem like nothing is going to work. And it does Mm -hmm. seem like this is hopeless right now and all of that kind of stuff, which obviously I'm never like the clients are not bumming me out or anything like that, but it's like, you can, experience the frustration and the resign to like, I guess I'm just going to feel like this forever. Yeah. And it's really a challenge. Yeah. Agreed. Well, and I think it's such a hard thing to be like, I think with depression, especially we really have to have the hope and almost rely on that. The medication is going to give us the boost Mm -hmm. to do the behavior thing. And that can also just be really hard because it's like, because we can't expect the medication to do it all for us. And so it's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Of like, okay, well we keep talking about how last year when we, when you had a good regimen of like moving your body on a daily basis, like we were alleviating so many symptoms, like how can we get back to that place? And it's like, we can't have another session of me asking you how we can get back to Mm -hmm. that place. Yeah. I think that it can feel for both the client and the therapist, like you're having the same conversations over and over again, Yeah, I agree. which again, just is, like embodying how that person feels. Mm -hmm. Um, Depression is just, man, it's so hard. Mm -hmm. It's really, really hard. Not that one is better or worse than the others or whatever, but it's just like, as, as the therapist can feel very, like, I think a lot of times my imposter syndrome can come up for stuff like that. Cause I'm like, Mm -hmm. do I know how to help this person? Cause it's like nothing I'm suggesting is helping, but that's the nature of that illness. Yeah. Well, and it is, I mean, I think we should all expect slow progress because mm-hmm. we're waiting for um, the therapeutic planets to align, mm-hmm. like in in a sense. And I think that's the other piece of like being knowledgeable about like, okay, what are the resources and how can you help your client connect and like what does work and and those things, but also knowing like it's a, it's a slow process. And I think the other piece of that that can be hard um, for anyone who knows or works with someone with depression, like some of that can also be really hard on the nervous system. Cause yeah. I know like, and this also comes up with like sometimes anxious clients. Like if you have someone who's morbidly depressed, it can be, you can have like a therapy hangover at the end of a session where you're like, Oh wow. Like my mood is really down now and stuff. Um, from, from sitting and, and, and helping see that person. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. I think that's just something to be really mindful of in like the toll that it can take on 
sharing the, th- the therapeutic space and like sharing that like limbic energy with someone. Well, and how that translates to those people's relationships. So yeah, like it's obviously really challenging to be a person who has depression, but it's also challenging to be a person who loves someone with depression because yeah. of things like that. And so it's only reinforcing the depression because people with depression already feel like they're a burden to people mm-hmm. and that they're not good enough and all this kind of stuff. And so to know that like, spending time with them can be challenging mm-hmm. only reinforces that but like it's not it's spending time with depression that is challenging it's not spending time with jen that's yeah. challenging it's spending time with jen's depression that's challenging yeah. but when a person is so depressed it's like no that's the same thing yeah and i think that that's like cbt kind of stuff and reframing thoughts like we talked about with um coping skills and all of that like mm-hmm. identifying you know if my thought is like, I'm a piece of shit, then I need to change the thought. So I Mm -hmm. feel better. Well, I'm not going to believe in like, I truly believe in those moments. I'm a Mm -hmm. piece of shit. So it feels almost like patronizing or stupid. Yeah. Yeah. To try to tell me to reframe my thoughts. Yeah. As someone who is married to someone with depression, it can be really hard. Like, sometimes I feel like an asshole because my husband will be like, I'm just feeling really depressed. Like, um, and he's doing so much like good work to manage it, but you know, it's none of it's perfect. Um, I mean, depression isn't perfect. So again, like it comes when it wants to and me just being like, okay, well, is there anything I can do? Like, Can I be helpful? If you do find something that is helpful, just let me know. Cause I'm like, I want to be supportive, but I also know like I can't fix it. And so it is like, okay, like I'm available. That's all I can say. Well, <laughs> and I think it's also hard because depression is one of those things that like impacts a person's ability to get things done and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So the way like to be married to a person or have relationships with a person who has depression can be frustrating because like Mm -hmm. we are working on this group project, that group project, (laughs) this retreat that we're planning. And I had a responsibility over the past couple of weeks. And when we went, I was like, I didn't do it because I've been feeling like shit the past however long. And so it's like, yeah, it's hard to talk, tell the people that you love, like, I didn't do my responsibilities. And also, how do you support a person but hold them accountable? It's really hard. Yeah. Like, do you encourage that? Like, hey, let's get up. Let's go for a walk. Let's go to a movie. Let's do that thing. Versus like, you have to get out of bed or I'll just leave you like, it's hard to know how to yeah. support someone. I do think that is the hard thing because it's like, I don't want to do anything that's going to reinforce the negative self-talk or like shame. But I also don't want to be like the asshole who's like, we can get through the depression. Right. It's like, oh my, shut up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, which reminds me, um, shout out to Erica, one of my LISW supervisees, because she gets really worried about that with the population she works with, where she's like, I think like, I'm too outgoing sometimes mm-hmm. and too like, yay about it. And I'm like, but also sometimes that's what someone needs is like, wow, this person really believes in me and is like excited to work for me, but also to like work with me. But also, you know, other people are going to be like, this bitch got to calm it down. Well, also, I think that our, especially if they're clients that you've known for a while, like they just know that you're like that. Yeah. And so, cause I'm the same way. I'm very, I ha- actually had that discussion with a client this week where I was like, sometimes I feel like I'm too, over the top to be a therapist. Like I'm not sitting with my cardigan and my mug of tea and like being (laughs) super chill, but like, that's just not how I am. Um, and most of my clients I think know that about me. Oh yeah. Well, and and also that's why you're good at what you do. I was thinking that recently because a client was talking about someone in their life and I was like, God, they just suck. (laughs) 
And they were like, they do. And I was like, yeah. And part of me was like, oh, should I be saying that? And I'm like, I don't, I think they need it. Cause once I, once they said like, they really do. I was like, wow, I feel like I just granted them permission to be like, wow, this person sucks. And it's okay for you to feel that way. Yeah. So it's funny. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Back to depression. That was a little bit of an offshoot, but, mm-hmm. um, so I think that enough, when we were talking about medicine, I wanted mm-hmm. to say this, that something, I wonder if you are seeing this too over the past, I don't know, five years. And maybe it's just because I have more. Um, like direct understanding of the medications and stuff that people are taking. But I think that it's becoming more and more common that someone will get prescribed an SSRI and then also an additive, either like Uh antipsychotic or, Mm -hmm. you know, other medications. So like they might take Prozac, but also Rexulti or Mm -hmm. like another medication on top of it. Mm -hmm. And I think this is another stigma thing that like people think that when they have more medicine, that means they're more severely sick or something is more wrong with them or whatever. But it's like, no, it's just the common. We don't have one drug that has both of Mm -hmm. these things in them. So we have to give you two, but it's not because you're like extra bad off or something, but that's a more common thing. I think medicine wise that I'm seeing, are you seeing that too? Yeah, I would agree with that of people having to, yeah, be on maybe like a mood stabilizer or something Mm -hmm. like that to help. Or there are a lot of medications that are made to boost the antidepressant. So you might be seeing a lot of those things as well. And I know lots of people are like, I don't want to take more medication. And it's like, I, I can understand that because that's something you have to take on a daily basis and, and, there's stigma that's just related to that of like, wow, I need this thing to help me be like a healthy person. And it's like, yeah, but if I told you that I don't playing monopoly every day was what would help like make you better. I bet that you would do that. Mm -hmm. And so it's just that piece of, all right. It, the other thing about that is like, we have to try to figure out what is the medication regimen that's going to work with your body chemistry. Mm -hmm. And like, and that's what that's about. It's not about, Oh, you as a person not doing enough work or you are so sick. It's just like, we trying to get all the chemistry to like all get to the right place. And so we, we have to add a little bit more to this recipe than maybe a different person's recipe. And that's just to get the result that we want in the end. Yeah. And I think we're making progress on this, uh, you know, research wise, I guess, but, something that's really hard about mental health meds is that we don't have like a blood test that you can take and Mm -hmm. is diagnostic and says like, this is the medicine that you need for this. But if you are a person who has a psychiatrist or prescriber that does mental health medication and you feel like you can't ever get the right one, or you're just throwing darts at the wall, there are certain tests that can be done depending on your provider, if they do them or not. But one is called gene sites, which is basically like a DNA oral saliva test that um the ones that i've seen are basically like you test for certain types of medication and then you the results that you get are like a red column a yellow column and a green column so the red column is like based on your dna these specific medications are more likely for you to have side effects or not metabolize correctly Mm -hmm. in your body or you might need a higher dose or whatever than the yellow columns like maybes and then green columns are like these are more likely to be most successful for you Mm -hmm. um and I don't think that per, whether it's not accessible for because insurance won't pay for it or whatever reasons, like mm-hmm. anyone who's taking mental health medication should be able to get that test. I think like, let's, yes. let's do this as a starting point instead of just pulling something out because that's another thing that makes it really hard medication wise is all of the side effects and 
all of this shit that's like a person doesn't want to take it because of all of the rigmarole that goes with Mm -hmm. finding the right one. Yeah. But if you could have a starting point, that's like, well, we definitely know we're not going to do these five. Mm-hmm. Even if we have 10 other ones we have to try, at least we're not trying 15. And that yeah. can feel a little more hopeful. No kidding. Well, especially if you're someone who is, they're trying to treat multiple things. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I like my client right now, who I think is really struggling with medication regimen. It's like for a while we were like, okay, this is the presentation. And so we think that we need to change the ADHD medication because this is like a behavior activation thing. And the, like the ADHD meds got changed around a couple times and we're like, gosh, that's not it. <laughs> so we're like, okay, maybe it's this. And in the end we were like, nope, I actually think it's this other thing. It wasn't what any of us thought to begin with. And I, I say all that to be, God, I feel like now this sounds less hopeful, but to just be like, some of that is trial and error. And to go back with what Kelly said, like, gosh, if there's just any information that can help boost or like give us a leg up and an advantage with that, like from the get go, God, like, let's try to do that. And I think a lot of people don't know about um, that test situation. I know we were talking about it um, with a like another caregiver friend of ours. And she was like, oh, my God, I had no idea that was mm-hmm. a thing. And I'm like, well, and I only knew about it from a client who told me about it. Me too. So me too. I'm like, wow. Yeah, it should be a, like just like how when you go to the doctor, mm-hmm. you always get your blood drawn or blood pressure mm-hmm. taken or whatever. It should be a standard thing. But then that we could talk for hours about insurance controlling healthcare and all that but that's beside the point yeah but i will say i think depression is also one of those things where it's really important to not get that from your general practitioner Mm -hmm. um to like go to someone who's a psychiatrist or a psych nurse practitioner or something like that who's really well versed in that because there are a lot of things i mean if you have ever been just prescribed a psychotropic med like that you know that a lot of them are like Mm off-brand like um or off off label off label prescribed um and so someone who is, you know, is doing that work every single day. That's their main focus. They're just going to be a little bit more knowledgeable about some of those things. Yep. Um, let's talk about, okay. Some, what are your, some of your go-to like if, so the medication thing, like check, we've discussed that. Yeah. What are some of the other kind of go-to treatment things that you do with clients for depression? Mm. Um, I do some like, feel good chemical hacking. So we'll be like, okay, what are things that typically help, um, like increase endorphins, dopamine, serotonin, um, oxytocin. And like, what are some ways that we can connect specifically with some of those things? Um, and then a lot of like small goal things. So, um, starting at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy. Like, are you getting enough sleep? Are you drinking enough water? Are you eating enough meals? Um, And then also that connection piece, because I know it's so easy for people to isolate. And because of the pandemic, like isolation has almost become a lot of people's baseline. Mm -hmm. So making sure that we're like talking to other people, spending time with other people, um, that we're not doing some of those isolating things. And then, um, I know that like I learned about a to-do list from listening to my favorite murder, but um, mm-hmm. I always have clients like instead of a to-do list, like at the end of the day or the end of the week, whenever feels good to you, just write down what the, all those small victories were. Like try to really reward and, and affirm yourself for the things that you are doing because mm-hmm. you're doing a lot in spite of the depression. I think that that is a really important one and also one that can be a challenge for clients to accept because they mm-hmm. don't like the idea of like giving yourself a gold star for doing what you're supposed to do. 
kind of stuff. Like, so if the things like I got out of bed on time three days this week, like you deserve to have recognition for that. Yeah. And not just because you're supposed to get out of bed every day, but because like when you have depression, it is hard to do that thing. And so that is a success. Shit. Even if you don't have depression, like getting out of bed every day is a success. Um, Well, and I know that like I've praised clients for like, I got my oil changed and it's like, Oh my God, you had to like, get, like make time, like during the day off work or like yeah, drive to the ma- place, talk to the people, right? pay for the thing or like- make an appointment or like, Oh my God. Like those are all things that require a lot of effort yeah. and effort is, can be hard to do when you are living with depression. Mm-hmm. I like to do a lot of, um, or try to do a lot of behavior activation things. It depends on what, like how severe people's symptoms are. But, um, Something that feels pretty easily accessible most of the time is making a playlist of your favorite songs. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, so like, even if you are laying in bed, right, you can still reach over to your phone and press play. Like Mm -hmm. a big part of what I do with folks with working with depression and other things too, but is like, how do we remove barriers as much as possible? So if it's like, I can't get up and walk the dog because I'm too depressed, but I can listen to a song. Like I have it. So I'll like sit with them in session and we make the playlist. So it's like, you don't have to do this outside of here. Like we're doing it right now. Hand me your phone. I'll make the playlist. You tell me the songs, whatever. Um, And then they can like access that. And then also that way I will know what some of their songs are. And so whenever, like I have one client in particular who, when we have a hard session, I'll be like, all right, now hang on. And then I play their song. Oh my Um, God. That's so great. (laughs) Like that's how we'll like end the session. Right. Mm -hmm. And it is a very happy song. And then as like you can see it shift even if it's Mm -hmm. just momentarily for those three minutes the song is on like as soon as i press it like a little smile curls Mm -hmm. up and it's not only is it the song but it's that being seen part of like Mm -hmm. wow kelly cares enough to like know this and to use it it's this moment of connection that we're having so it's really killing lots of birds with one stone Mm -hmm. um i'll also do like behavior activation is behave in the way that you want to feel right so like If you want to feel happier, like watch something funny on TV, Mm. listen to happy music. Yeah. Connect with a friend. Mm. Um, Yeah. One of the things I always, I may have shared this before, but I always ask my clients is like, what's your hype song? Yeah. So what's the song when like, like for me, if I, if it's a day where I am just not in the mood to go to work, I'm like, that's the song I play in my car on my way to work because I'm trying to like activate. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, so asking clients like, what's your go-to hype song, which most people have more than one. So that's always like fun Mm -hmm. um, to hear about. And then recently I gave one of my clients the homework assignment of like, I want your hype song to be your journal prompt. What about this song feels activating to you? What about that? What about this song is resonating for you? What makes you feel powerful? Like, like what is that to kind of further self-reflect? So God, music is like the best activating thing. What's your hype song? What's my hype song? Is it Taylor Swift something? <laughs> it's a Taylor Swift song. You don't want to say? No. I'm yeah, okay, you could tell me afterwards. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> of course it's Taylor Swift. My God. I figured it would be. Mine would be, I said this before, Lizzo good as hell, but then also um the whole album um Taking Back Sundays. Um, tell all your friends it has Mm -hmm. like cute without the e and every song that just makes me think of like being 16 and carefree driving around in my car Mm -hmm. with the windows down you know all that like i can listen to that album anytime and just be 
transport it. I wouldn't say that the songs are particularly happy all of the time, mm-hmm. but the feelings yeah. that it gives me are really Mine good. Mine tends to be like the whole reputation album from Taylor Swift. Cause like, Oh, I just love that. I think that's her best album. Um, but also I read <laughs> one of my songs is, um, Alexander Hamilton from the mm-hmm. Hamilton soundtrack because I just really love that I know all the words to it mm-hmm. and so it's really fun to like rap sing it in the car like alone and it makes me feel like like powerful man I remember when you were like when Hamilton came out on Disney mm-hmm. plus and it was like you were having a Hamilton moment like I bought you Hamilton stickers and all that kind of oh, stuff God, and like I you would Hamilton. you send me a voice note of you <laughs> rapping that song which I love that because yeah oh it's so good mm-hmm. <laughs> That's another, like, so let's, maybe that's what we could do is just, like, name some things that work for us if we're feeling kind of down. Yeah. Um, I love watching carpool karaoke <laughs> and recording notes of myself and sending them to you. Yes. And I, and I love it as well. It's, a it's very really good. Yeah. It makes it really, really good. Really good. Um, I know for me, if I'm like, oh, and I think I shared this, like, Last time, maybe I shared this with a client. I don't know. It was on mic. Um, like telling Travis, like, oh, come here. Like, I need oxytocin. Yeah, you said that on our cooking yeah. skills one, I think. I'm like, hold me or scratch my back mm-hmm. or just those things that like make me feel a little bit like cared for and connected. And it's like five seconds. Like, it's not a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And that is just like a nice acknowledgement from someone else. Oh, yeah. I always do a dog snuggle. No, like, dog no snuggle. doubt. Always go into a dog snuggle. I also think, um, Today wouldn't be necessarily the best example because it's gloomy outside, but going outside. Yeah. Even if it's cold, even if it's raining, just like having fresh air, <laughs> like mm-hmm. get out of the stagnant kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said this in our coping. Sc- it was either coping skills or nervous system. I can't remember which one, but changing clothes, like oh, put, yeah. putting on the clothes, putting on your uniform for the thing that you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Even if you're just getting back in bed, put on clean clothes. Um, something I try to do consistently is just self-care, but I think it does help with mood and all that kind of stuff is every Sunday I wash my sheets and put mm-hmm. fresh sheets on the bed. They're in the, di- in the dishwasher, in the washer right now. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Those Love are it. some of my main ones. Yeah. Um, oh, I definitely agree about the sheet thing. Cause there's just so, something so nice about like, ah, starting my week with fresh sheets. Cause I do sheets on Sunday too. Mm-hmm. Um, And sometimes for me, it's like, let me go ahead and do the thing I really don't want to do. So whether it's like going, I hate going to the grocery store. So like, I like to reward myself with going to the grocery. And sometimes it's just like, just that self-talk to Mm -hmm. like, just like, damn, yes. Like way to do the harder thing. Like you didn't want to do this, but you made time for it. And it didn't even take that long and you fucking killed it. Or I, y'all, I literally have to do that when I get gas. I fucking hate to get gas. It's like the biggest (laughs) inconvenience to me for some reason. And so anytime I do it, especially when I don't wait to the last minute, but I do it in a way that feels like, okay, I know I have to drive downtown tomorrow and let let me go ahead and get it tonight because tomorrow morning I'll be so happy I did that. And then I'm just like, I do like a little dance in my car after I do it. I'm like, Mm -hmm. yes, I did the thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I also think that um, something, this is kind of going back a little bit, but and we we kind of already talked about it, but just reiterating that the self-talk part when a person is depressed is so hard. And so at the very least, like I think that, People have a hard time getting on board with like that positivity. Mm -hmm. So I really try to help people just use neutral language, right? So like you do not have to be like, everything is great, but you can say like, things are fine 
or mm-hmm. things are safe or things are neither good or bad or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's oh, man, I just thought of the fact that I was going to use. No, damn it. Um, <laughs> based on the neither neither thing. Anyway, um, sorry, my brain is like totally. <laughs> what was I talking about? Oh, just trying neutral to use language. neutral language. Yeah. yeah, and because people who are depressed are going to have a really hard time being positive. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> obviously, yeah. we got to ease them into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I think goes without well, doesn't go without saying because I'm saying it, but it's important to tr- if you're feeling depressed or feeling anxious or whatever, just in general mental health stuff, but especially with depression, staying away from alcohol. Yeah, oh my god, yeah, because it's a central nervous system depressant. It is not going to help you feel better. No, it's not. It's going to make it worse. Mm-hmm. Depression plus the depressant. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, it's really not great. Tricky. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about some maybe lesser known treatments for depression that are, um, newer, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to talk about ketamine. I want to talk about TMS and I want to talk about ECT. So ketamine is, I would say, I don't know exactly, but like within the last five years, it's Mm -hmm. getting more traction and is like more recently approved for um, insurance and all that kind of stuff. And these three things are things that are going to be treatment resistant depression, like you were saying earlier, Mm -hmm. so that if a person has tried two or more antidepressants and it hasn't given them lasting benefits, typically insurance will then maybe spring to pay for this kind of stuff. So again, a whole other barrier issue Mm -hmm. with um, depression stuff or insurance stuff. But um, ketamine would be essentially like microdosing ketamine infusions and getting short-term mood lifting. I mean, mm-hmm. it's essentially what it is, but you're doing it at a doctor's office under um, supervision. Su- yeah. Medical care. Mm-hmm. Ideally you'd be able to do it like with a therapist and also pairing the medication, like with a kind of therapist guiding it for you mm-hmm. or facilitating that. Um, it has been, shown to be helpful with um like suicidality and things like that like really Mm -hmm. intense short-term kind of stuff not short-term acute um symptoms so that is one treatment um tms is transferred transmagnetic stimulant cranial stimulation something like that i think that's is that all right um i think that is it but basically what it is is using magnets to um stimulate brain activity so it's really pretty interesting the way that it works is like you go to the doctor's office or whatever and they have this apparatus that they put on your head and the way they test if they're finding the right spot in your brain is by if your thumb twitches a certain way or something it's really interesting Mm -hmm. there's just so much that we don't know about the brain still and every time we uncover something new it's very very interesting (laughs) um but basically using magnetic stimulation to jump start brain activity mm-hmm. in the parts of your brain that are related to depression. Was yeah. I right? That's trans transcranial magnetic stimulation. I said yeah. magnetic and cranial backwards, yeah. but yeah. Um, and then the, do you have anything that you want to say about either of those two? No, I think good overview. And then the last one's ECT, mm-hmm. which is electroconvulsive therapy, mm-hmm. which we used to call electric shock therapy. Um, and it's much different than it used to be. Yes. It's not an inhumane practice anymore. And what's really great about that is that, well, and again, like it happens under like medical supervision and all of that stuff happens and it gives you 
when it works, it gives you very long lasting mm-hmm. effects. Um, and so that's what's so great. Like you can like have so many, um, sessions. Se- thank you. <laughs> um, sessions of it. And then you can have, um, like, um, enough he- years period yes. worth of symptom free. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Well, um, so p- when people hear ECT, they get really scared because they think about like one flew over the cuckoo's nest and like yeah. some of those, 70s type of psychiatric treatments which our field doesn't have great history in treating people super well but um it is much different now it's much less invasive however both tms and ect i'll say one of the things that makes them not super accessible besides cost are the frequency in which you have to do them Uh um tms i think you have to do three to four times a week and ect you do three times a week Mm -hmm. and it's structured like it's tiered so the first couple weeks you do three sessions and then you go down to two then you go down to one and then you know whatever um it's a time suck yeah and you have to go to a hospital to do it Mm -hmm. um for ect at least and like there might be one place in columbia that does it but i know that i've had clients who have done it and they had to go to charleston for it Mm -hmm. um very effective though and the person like was not interested in doing it and then when they finally did they were like this absolutely saved my life yeah um so if you're a person who has been thinking about ect like if you're scared it makes sense that you're scared but also think about how great it might be for you to do obviously Mm -hmm. i'm not i don't know you so i can't tell you (laughs) to do it but try not to be scared by the stigma with it, I guess is what I'm saying. Ask your provider or your prescriber about it and have some conversations and learn about it and make an informed choice. That's what I was saying too. Like, I think that ketamine TMS and ECT both really, or all three really speak to what I was saying earlier about like that biological component, Mm -hmm. um, that it's, you're literally like doing things to your physiology Mm -hmm. and stimulating brain connectivity and action that, isn't going to like, it's such, yeah, it's such biological rooted type of stuff that, yeah, it's just really interesting to think about. I don't know. And if someone suggests to get a lobotomy, don't do that. Oh no, don't do that. (laughs) Oh gosh, man. Yeah. Remember lobotomies? (laughs) No, thank goodness. That was before our time, (laughs) but yeah, terrible stuff. Um, if you are interested about depression stuff, I do want to kind of, not if you're interested, no, whatever. Um, in learning more yeah. about treatment options. <laughs> There's a um, Netflix special, which is a comedy special, but it's it's not Netflix. It's HBO, I think, actually. It's called The Great Depression, and it is a comedian who was doing this special while also um, he was suicidal and had to be hospitalized and all this kind of stuff. And he, I'm pretty sure that he did ECT, um, Gary Goleman. But so it's like going back and forth between his stand-up and then like – documentary life kind of stuff um, and following him around and talking with people in his life about what it's been like for him with depression and all this kind of thing. So it was really a client actually told me about it and I thought that it was a really great representation of it. I also think that the show um, you're the worst, which is a funny show. Um, I watch it on Hulu, but there is one season where the main character gets, has a depressive episode. And I think they do a really great job of, might have even talked about this in the TV episode that we did, but I think they do a really great job of 
showing what depression looks like. Like she's laying on the couch, staring out the window, kind of just like catatonic. And her boyfriend comes in and he's like, hey, I really need you to talk to me, you know, whatever. Like he's trying to engage with her and she picks up her phone and sends him a text message that says like, leave me alone. And it's like, he's in the room with her and she Mm -hmm. can't talk to him. And I think that it's just a really great representation of how hard depression is for people. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's another thing that's hard about it is that people who are struggling with depression, if their support systems are not super well-versed or aware, or if they're frustrated or whatever, don't have an understanding that like, this isn't just this person trying to be difficult. I think that people who are at depression can get that as a bad rap of like, why are you just being so difficult? And it's like, no, I'm not trying to be this way. Yeah. It's how it is. And I thought that show did a really good job of representing that. Mm. Good stuff, Cal. Yeah. Oh. So any final thoughts for depression? No, just be kind to yourself and to one another. Yeah. It's really hard. I also think that that's a good reason to get into therapy, right? Yes. Is because like, if one of the helpful things for depression is connection, then you, your therapist might be the only place that you can get it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also helpful for like that to dollars part of like, mm-hmm. okay, well, at least I got up and I went to therapy. Like, yeah, when you're still doing that. That's doing something. No kidding. I also want to say with medicine that sometimes people will stop taking their depression medicine because they feel better and then to be surprised about why they start to get depressed again mm-hmm. is because your medicine is helping you. Yeah. So don't stop taking it um, without talking to your doctor about it first, I guess. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid to get back on it if you need to. That's yeah. All right. So I have a joke for you. I would love to hear it. Make me laugh. <laughs> Sorry, I have a text message from a scammer that's very weird um i was like what the hell is that and i'm trying to delete it is there a king in another country that needs you to send him money no it was like text me if you want to meet up <laughs> I'm like, I, don't, I don't know you i don't want to meet you <laughs> all right i'm ready what did one saggy boob say to the other saggy boob um let's hang out let's it's fun hanging out if we don't get the proper support people will think we're nuts <laughs> well, that was a good one for uh, a depression episode a little connection you know uh, oh god nuts are so gross <laughs> don't shame testicles or did you mean walnuts, walnuts no i meant gross. testicles there's this one book there's a book that i read and they were talking about nuts and how like just they're kind of gross it's this girl and it goes like are, why aren't those inside the body and i could not agree <laughs> that is more. a good question they look like they should be inside the body well i mean ovaries are inside the bottom body and i know they, yeah oh god okay Anywho, on it's that note <laughs> see you next time bye